This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. We are hunters, anglers, riders, and sometimes chefs. Our passion for the outdoor lifestyle motivated the foundation of Harvesting Nature, which serves as a media outlet built to inspire and educate the outdoor expert and novice alike. Our podcast focuses on the technical side of cooking wild fish and game, while also incorporating adventures and lessons learned from our pursuit of wild meat. Join us on our journey of Harvesting Nature. Hey guys, welcome back to the Harvesting Nature Wild and Fishing Game podcast. Uh, you got Justin Townsend here. This is uh, Colin. And this is Dustin. And uh, today we're going to chat a little bit about cast iron cooking wear, a little bit about campfire cooking and camp stoves, also with some cool recipes. We got about four or so recipes that we want to chat about today and see how it goes. So we unfortunately don't have Corey with us on the line today. That's all right. We'll have a, a grand old time regardless. So now that you kind of know who's uh, in the room, we'll just uh, cut straight to the chase and uh, get a little bit into cast iron uh, cookware. I'm a huge fan of cast irons. Um, I love my cast iron. Yeah. Yeah, big fan. It became really popular in kind of the late 1800s. We talked a little bit about lodge cookware and all that stuff. You get another, the like Griswold, Griswold and Erie and... Yep, all those different companies, and then it was kind of the multi-use, multi-purpose cookware that kind of helped pave the way as as America grew west and super durable. Not real great at uh, evenly distributing heat, so that's one of the things. Um, I think that's a big confusion point for a lot of people because in their defense of cast iron or uh, promotion of cast iron, that's one of the things that's often cited, which unfortunately isn't quite the case due to the nature of the metal itself, whereas you have like aluminum and copper are better uh, conductors, so they're better at distributing the heat evenly throughout the pan. But one thing great about cast iron is it's really good at retaining the heat, which is what you're looking for 
if you're going to get something and you want a constant measured heat in a place, say like a campfire, you know, an electric stove or even a gas stove, uh, where you can't always get um, a regulated heat. So it kind of helps balance that out. And you can usually figure out your, your cooking temperature in relation to like your high, medium, low setting on your on your pan or if you've got it stuck in the coals and you're, you're cooking that way. So it's, it's pretty, pretty good. Um, I think just overall, uh, I, I know we all have varying experiences with cast iron, so feel free to chime in, uh, with, which, with, which, whatever you like, uh, in relation to that. Uh, I personally, have about four pieces, five pieces. And it used to be a big thing in my house growing up. Uh, cast iron was very common, used very frequently um, on the stovetop, stored in the oven to kind of help keep it dry, keep it rust-free. You know, rust being probably the most deadly thing to a cast iron pan just over time. It's, I mean, it's it's metal. It's uh, an untreated metal unless you season it, which is sort of a... A temporary way to uh, prevent the rust and things like that. So, I mean, if you use it enough, though, you're going to keep maintaining it. Yeah. I mean, we have about, uh, I want to say, three or four pieces in our kitchen, and then another two just backup ones that I keep in my camping Tupperware for whenever we go out. So, those will probably get the worst of it and might need a little bit more maintenance. But the the ones that we have in the kitchen, we use them so frequently that they they stay seasoned. I uh, I find mine tend to rust on the bottom. A lot more than... Uh, yeah, that's what happened to mine. Yeah. I find that when I stack them, like in the cupboard, and, mm-hmm. I, and I put one pan on another pan, they rust more. But if I keep them separate, I haven't really had that problem. Now, do you have all bare cast iron? I, I do, but but I do season them. Um, so the way I get... It's kind of fun finding them. I like to go to like antique places or if I'm just going through some, some old shop and... And I see a pan. First thing I do is look at the bottom and see if it's one of the older brands, you know, because you feel lucky. Oh, I got a Griswold. <laughs> you know, like but, it, in the lottery. But, it, but if it's not like a new modern brand that someone just tossed away, it, it has a little bit more value to you. But they're going to be, they're not going to have that new coating that comes with the, the modern ones. So you're going to have to season it. And, you know, first I want to clean it off when I get home, make sure there's no rust on it. Maybe use some oil, some fat, and then just bake it for a while. And uh, that seems to put it in good condition. It's ready to go. Sure. And a lot of them, like you said, nowadays come pre-seasoned. When you get them at the store, they're usually that way. Um, But coming across those old antique ones, even scrubbing it up, I've had a couple. I have a muffin tin. There's a cast iron muffin tin. And I uh, took a drill uh, with a wire brush, scraped off all whatever remnants was on there, basically took it down to metal, used steel wool on it. Um, all that stuff and then re-season it back up. But I actually, for some of those, um, once you get those older pieces and kind of going through a couple different layers of seasoning, I, I put it on the smoker. Really? Uh, Ooh, yeah, that's a good way. Okay. I put it on the smoker and then just like I let it go from the initial point. So as soon as I turn the smoker on, uh, being the Traeger, uh, another use for the Traeger is seasoning cast iron pans. <laughs> <laughs> um, so having the ability to do that and sort of just turn it on and it going from, you know, equivalent to outside temperature all the way up to, you know, 450 degrees, that sort of lets that slow heat build up on that cast iron, which is what cast irons are actually, they're, they're more designed and better equipped to go from a slow heat 
uh, all the way up, not just like, you know, crank it, turn it on high right off the way. You're not going to broil it or anything? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the other thing. On the other side of it, you can, but you don't want to expose uh, it to extreme heat change like immediately. You've I've seen them. Um, I follow a couple uh, Facebook groups where there it's like, cast iron enthusiasts and people have them like all over their wall of like 50 of them. And to me, that's a little excessive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think part of the, the ability of a cast iron is you can have one pan that can do many, many things and sort of take the abuse and use of a kitchen, but having 20 different ones at that point, it just becomes a collection piece. But so what are you, when you put it in the trigger, are you adding fat or oil or anything? Oh yeah. I'm rubbing the whole thing down with oil. Uh, I, I use grapeseed oil a lot. Um, it's really, uh, really high quality oil. It's got a, a high heating point, so that's good too. Uh, but I, it's really clean. Okay. Um, I've used like some fats and stuff before and oils. It's really smoky. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm also a firm believer, like the more you use the cast iron, the better season it is. So yeah, absolutely. kind of mm-hmm. follows that mantra we were talking about earlier. Um, have you guys ever heard of the enamel cast iron pans or not pans? I think. Well, there's like a Dutch oven. Yeah. There's sort of like, I got one of those. I have a regular, uh, a bare cast iron Dutch oven. And then they have the enamel ones that have that coating on the outside, the outside and the inside. Okay. I think you most commonly see them for like the pots that you braise in. Yeah. Um, I've got a Le Creuset. Yeah. And, uh, Ooh, those are nice. Yeah. And, uh, that has like the enamel with cast iron around the inside, I guess, with the enamel around the outside. Mm -hmm. And I made some really good lamb shanks in it one time. But yeah, like you said, it's perfect for like those braising, braising type of meals. Which we'll get into a good braising recipe here a little later. Camp stew, camp stew. It's a it's a hefty item to bring camping. It's, with it's you. pretty. Yeah, there's some weight to it. Oh yeah, yeah. but yeah. Uh, I mean, if you have enough people and you got enough supplies, you you could really do some damage to that thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've done. I think probably one of the first dishes I did camping, just to like, oh yeah, I'm gonna take the cast iron. Where I made a. Uh, this Cajun Creole recipe called it's, the recipe itself is called Creole, but I made it with pike and it's traditionally made with like catfish or shrimp. Oh, yeah. And it's like a, a tomato heavy uh, dish. You serve it over rice, but we were up fish, fishing in the Dakotas and having to catch uh, some pike and learned from a local guy up there, how to fillet it out, get past the pin bones, all that stuff. And, uh, and made that up, and oh gosh, it was so good. Yeah. And a nice roux in it, nice butter flavor, like yeah. just really phenomenal. Nice. But the purpose of those enamel coated is to kind of help prevent that rust. So it's battling back against that rust because it seals in the cast iron. So you still get the good um, heat retention. You just have like a, a coating on the outside and the inside that's helping you um, keep it from rusting and arguably also helping by not allowing as much stuff to stick in it to it because there's a big debate like some things you shouldn't cook in there because it gets in the pores of the metal yeah. and things best to cook best not to cook i don't know what are your what are your guys favorite things to cook in the cast iron scotch eggs scotch so eggs when we go camping we make scotch eggs and we call them dinosaur eggs because mm-hmm. we'll take the soft boiled egg we'll wrap it in the ground sausage and then we'll wrap it in bacon and it makes this like hardened shell on the outside. And they look, by the time you're done, they mm-hmm. look like little dinosaur eggs. And you just cut into them and the yolk just flows out. It's amazing. Ooh. Oh, that sounds so good. good. So good. Mm, like, yeah, and it smells good. Yeah, and all the sausage. Mm. Yeah. I, I love scotch hungry. eggs. Yeah. Have you, 
You, uh, That's our camping tradition. Say, one of you guys tried the scotch egg recipe. Did you try it, the one that I made a while back? I'm trying to think. Somebody here had it because I shared Did you make it here? <laughs> then, If you made it here, then I had it. Yeah, yeah, okay. I made it. Yeah. I think I, yeah, one or two uh, extra left over, I think. I shared. I, shared. I, shared. I love coming I over here. Anytime yeah. you're taking pictures, I want to come over and just, just sample. Just eat food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Colin, what's your favorite uh, thing to cook on a cast iron? Uh, I really like using it to sear. Uh, I mean, I don't really cook a whole lot of things like wholesale on it from start to finish, but I mean, it's great for, with that heat retention, it's great for searing stuff. Um, and also, you know, depending on what you're doing, whether you're doing some kind of beef or some kind of other uh, lean game animal or whichever, you're still going to retain that, uh, that flavor into the into the pan, which then gets passed on to the next thing you cook and uh, you know, it all just keeps going. For a while, I was cooking a lot of eggs on it, mm, uh, and then months. along with like kind of alternating beef and eggs. So then I would get that alternated, like that real hearty flavor in Good both. Flavor. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a problem with your eggs sticking? I didn't. I would usually use some kind of oil, actually grapeseed oil. Um, just kind of put a little tiny layer of that on, not even a layer, just a couple sprinklings of it, and then. Uh, just do it on low heat and fluff them up and you get nice fluffy, you know, non-buttery eggs, which if you're trying to watch your health is good. <laughs> but, uh, and then, uh, my cousin actually told me this and he just scored a little bit of lemon on it and some parsley. And, um, uh, and it makes pretty good, you know, egg souffle in the morning. I think Ooh. the only time you really have problems with eggs is if you get the heat too high and then you leave and you walk away. Yeah. Like if you're camping, you throw, make a, like a skillet, throw some eggs, onions, whatever in there. You take what you want to eat, and then you walk away, and it's sitting on top of the fire, and it just bakes in there. That's what I think we need the biggest problem. I think as long as you're continuously moving the eggs around, you should be okay. Yeah. Uh, especially with like a little bit of oil or some so kind you, of lubricant in there. Are you talking about like fried eggs or scrambled eggs? Uh, I mean, it's like fried, but it's not like fried fried. You know, it's just like a like a light fluffy cloud of eggs, <laughs> if you will. It sounds yeah. lovely. Yeah, it's very like a, pleasant. Like you whisk them, like scrambled. Or yeah, I'll just I'll like, just move them around, just keep oh, moving okay, them around okay. until they you know they they turn the right color and they lose that transparency. I can't do that at my house because my daughter doesn't like the white and the yellow visible. They have to be like oh, it's got to be all it one all color. has to be one color. <laughs> oh, that's tough to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had this really good dish the other day. It's called shakshuka, and my wife makes it. It's like an Israeli street food dish, but mm-hmm. you you take the just like tomato sauce, bunch of vegetables, heavy on oil, and you. uh you make an indention kind of swirling around the tomato mixture and then you crack the egg and you put it in there and you put the top on it and you let it cook. Well, the traditional uh, dish, you, you leave the yolks running because then you dip your bread and stuff in that, which yeah. is like phenomenal. But because one, Marjorie's pregnant and two, Zoe doesn't like the yolks. Yeah, no uh, go. Yeah, no go. So they got cooked hard all the way through, which it was oh. still good. Just oh, uh, sure. just a little different. But yeah, there's um, some complications with <laughs> Eggs. I love eggs. But I like over easy. It's my favorite way. I yeah. want to find somewhere around here and get an ostrich egg. Uh, an ostrich farm? Yeah. Oh, we don't have many of those in the Keys. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, it reminded me of a story, but I got a story for another day <laughs> about ostriches. So probably one of my favorite things in the cast iron, I like using it for baking for sure. Um, it's just an easy go-to pan. It's really cool. Cast iron is, like I said earlier, easy to heat. Uh, and it can 
take high temps, so over 450 degrees, which a lot of uh, some of your baking requires that. And whereas aluminum and some of the other pans will tend to warp and bend and even like steel uh, pans won't take that heat as well. Mm-hmm. But a cast iron pan would do really well. You get a nice crispy. I like to do pizzas in it. Cast iron pizzas. Oh, that's a good idea. Okay. Yeah. Get a super crispy, bo- crispy bottom. Almost like you could do deep dish if you wanted to. If you yeah. had like a big cast iron pan. Um, or you can do just, you know, your regular, you know, thinner dough. What's another one? We did? Camping we used to use a lot. Peach cobbler, like different cobblers. So you could just get the can, the canned fruit, mm-hmm. you know, the cherries, the blueberries, the pie filling, essentially. Right. You dump that in and then you just put, uh, like flatten out biscuits on top or oh, you'd okay. mix up a little batter and pour on top of that and just let it bake. And it would all just kind of come together inside the, in the Dutch oven. And then, of course, like you mentioned, calm pan frying and searing. I think those are two probably the most common things. I like frying fish in mine because uh, it holds that temperature really well, like we talked about earlier. And you get a, a nice even heat, um, not even heat, but like a constant temperature for your oil. Yeah. Uh, which is really key to frying. And you know, put the temp gauge in there and see what the oil temp is in between fish cycles of fish and french fries and hush puppies. So I've got a cast iron now. Uh, my medium sized pan that is uh, strictly fish from now on oh, because I did uh, tried some blackened fish last summer when my brother was here and uh, it, the fish mill has not gone away from that pan <laughs> so I think that's going to be the fish pan from here on out. Dedicated. I think that's one of the one of the arguing points of things that I mean not not cook maybe but because yeah. the cast iron takes on the flavor because it's so porous mm-hmm. and then of course one thing you never want to do you never want to store food in it. Oh, no, absolutely not. So, like, taking it and just toss it in the refrigerator? Nope. People do that with pans? Yeah. Oh, It's a thing. Okay. I've never heard of that. Yeah. People, a lot of people think that's why there's lids for pots and pans. You can put them (laughs) straight in the fridge. I shouldn't laugh. Everybody can do what they want. Right. Yes, do what you want, world. Just not that. (laughs) I'm just not going to. Also, acidic things aren't really good for cast iron pans. You know that? Yeah. uh, So, you, you had tomatoes. Like kind of yeah. tomato-based items, um, which I was going to put in the plug for a Dutch oven is a very good uh, substitute for cast iron then if you're cooking with tomatoes because there's nothing for the acidity to seep yep. into. So Once it's without enamel, yeah. Those tomato-based stews and uh, chilies and stuff like that, those are going to be real good for the Dutch oven. I have on my list here delicate fish, which I wanted to talk about that because I've definitely cooked delicate fish. You just... I think it's more user error than anything if it's going to like oh, it overcooks or undercooks or falls apart, like just treat it gently. So when you do leave something in too long, what's your best method of uh, cleaning it? Oh, nice segue. I'm a salt guy. Okay. Yeah, I'm a yeah, no, salt. Salt's yeah. tried and true. Yeah. Um, um, so how do you do it though with the salt? Do you just rub it around with paper towel or? So I, it's usually uh several iterations i'll take i'll put the salt in there and completely dry and i'll take whatever brush or whatever um sponge i've used for my dishes yeah (laughs) it's probably not good for the sponge but whatever and i just scrub it i'll wet the sponge and then i'll scrub it until the salt's Mm, almost all the way dissolved then i'll do it again and rinse the sponge and i just kind of repeat that process till it gets where i like it i'm very uh anti-soap for the cast iron. Yeah. So, I mean, I won't use any. I'll just use, like, some bunch of folded-up paper towels with a whole whole bunch of salt in the pan. And then I'll just, like, scrub it over and over again until 
kind of I'm getting less and less of like the leftover residue from the cooking. Um, and then, you know, the salt stays in there and everything, but. So I still use salt. Um, but as I was out, uh, on this last hunting trip, uh, someone, there's this new gadget you get. It's a chain mail washcloth. So kind of like the stuff that like the Knights would wear. Yeah. It's just exactly as you picture it. It's a little metal washcloth and you can throw some salt in there and that thing just takes anything out. It's, it speeds up your process so much and it's under 20 bucks on Amazon. Did you um, name it Sir Rinse-A-Lot? Sir Rinse-A-Lot. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I still use soap. Sometimes. Do you? Yeah. I use soap, especially if I use fish. Yeah, I, I mean... I just re-season it, okay. but I don't do like a full season on it. I'll uh, I'll put the pan on the stove and I will use um, like a low to medium heat and I'll make... Put a little bit of oil in there and I'll use paper towels or, you know, a really crappy dish towel and I'll coat the inside of it and then I'll let it heat up from low to medium and then I'll put another coat on there and sort of coat it around and let that set for a little while till it's almost just barely smoking and then I'll pull it and usually put it in the oven or move it off onto another burner and that kind of like helps reseal it. Okay. Uh, so it adds, you know, some of that you take off. And I usually, I don't scrub it. When I use soap, uh, I generally just use the softer side of the, the scouring pad uh, for, you know, the the green or the yellow side. I'll use the yellow yeah. side. But some people use just a brush and some water. Did you guys know there's some health effects to... Uh... I did not. Yeah. So the ADA. <laughs> uh, the what? Yeah, the American Dietetic. Oh, okay. Yeah, American Dietetic Association. They found that when you cook in cast iron, it it, uh, leaches iron into your food, which is good. So like I mentioned earlier, my wife's pregnant right now. Actually, our son's due next week. So probably by the time you're hearing this podcast, some of you will have already been born, which is pretty cool. Yeah, so one of the things she said was like, hey, cook more food in the cast iron because then I can get iron, uh, which is good for me and good for the baby. So that's uh, that's pretty cool. They say iron and cornbread of all things increases twenty eight percent when you cook it in cast iron. Oh, hmm. all right, yeah, that's I pretty love, cool. I love cornbread. Yeah, that might be something to try out. Cornbread. I do love cornbread. I cook cornbread in my cast iron. Yeah, and brownies. So Man, I, I really got to expand my yeah. cast iron. I've never done anything sweet in repertoire. My... Yeah, I've yeah. never done anything. I mean, I just and stew. I always picture it this way, like. You're traveling across the country in a covered wagon. What's the one pan that you would bring? Would you bring the nonstick? Would you bring the stainless steel, the well, copper, well, if you or the cast it, iron? You season it good enough. You have a nonstick. Yeah. If you have one pan that you need to do everything in. Mm-hmm. Do you think they only traveled with one pan? Maybe. In a wagon? I don't know. How big is the wagon? That's a good point. <laughs> it's debatable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you had cauldrons. We talked earlier. Well, they about traded like the, a lot of stuff. The too. first cast iron cookware in Europe, dating back to like the six eighty, um, was cast iron cauldrons. Would you still see today? People cook with those over the fire. It's pretty uncommon, but they're definitely still out there. But yeah, you just one pot for that. I mean, think about it. a cauldron. You can do anything in. You could deep fry stuff. You can pan fry stuff yeah. you can make stews you can sear meat you can braise all that stuff hmm. one-stop shop i guess if you got really fancy you can make brownies in it too i don't know <laughs> if they <laughs> ate brownies in 680 but i don't know i'd like to think so <laughs> should have 
got to come from somewhere, right? Speaking of cauldron, that's a good segue into uh, talking a little about cooking over the fire, which I'm excited to talk to you guys about because I think cooking over campfires. Campfire is one of my favorite things to have. It's one of my favorite parts of camping. Uh, go out cooking. What's your preferred method? <laughs> go out cooking. Go out camping. <laughs> you know when you're just out on the cook? Yeah. Um, my favorite. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. What what kind of uh, fire? What's your approach for starting your campfires? So once we have a regular good size campfire going, uh, we have this when we go hunting or camping. Oh no no no! Let's start from the first. From the first, yeah. Lay okay. it out. You, you want to actually start the fire? Yeah, sure. So I found a cool new method. Um, if you depending on where you get wood from, uh, which I'd like to talk about in a minute, but um, you take a, a good size stump or a ring. And you use like a, a saw, preferably a chainsaw to make a quicker, oh, yeah. but and you, you cut a cross in it and you kind of chisel the middle out and you can put your kindling and stuff in there and it slowly burns that stump out, but it also provides a structure for you to put your pan on. So how big a stump do you need? Oh, I mean, you can get one about 24, 30 inches. It's a pretty good stump. Isn't that yeah. a, uh, like a Scandinavian technique? Isn't it like a Swedish fire or like Norwegian fire or something yeah, like that? Yeah, I, I don't, don't want to say that's like the name of it, but... Yeah, I don't know what it's called. Um, I was just amazed at how I thought it would burn faster, but it's it just basically slowly expands from the core. So you have all that heat coming up right in the middle, and you have somewhere to rest your pan. And when you're done, it'll just burn out, and you go grab another one. Um, no waste. No waste. So that that's the, probably the coolest pioneer way I've seen, um, other than just taking a bunch of chopped wood and lighter fluid and starting a campfire. <laughs> yeah. Or Or... I experimented with this way. It was using some uh, collected dryer lint. Which failed. <laughs> it failed pretty hard. I don't think uh, it was the... I think you're right. It wasn't the, the dryer No, lint. it was the fire starter that I was trying to use, which is like a little kind of like thumb and hand fire starter where okay. it's a magnesium strip and you're supposed to make sparks. like a flint and tinder wood. But um, that didn't work. But when we did light the dryer lint with just a good old reliable lighter uh then it really got started it really got the kindling going okay and then it went to a very luscious and pleasant fire have you guys heard of the air piston for starting fires no no that's a okay that's some witchcraft right there so it's a the one i got on amazon was just this little piece of wood handle with a hole drilled in it and it comes with a another piece that's inserted into it and it's it comes with a I have heard of this. Yeah, it's like yeah. an O-ring, and it's, it's a perfect airtight seal. The stick that you shove in there, you do it really fast, and you kind of hit it. And there's a, a cup at the end of the piston that goes in, and you fill it with a little bit of, like, lint or whatever it comes with it, little cotton fibers. And you smack it really hard, and when you pull it out, it's actually ignited. Because, like, the pressure, yeah. it's like air pressure. Hmm. I didn't yeah, believe it I when I saw that. it. I didn't believe it. I've I, never, do you have it? Yeah, I, I do have one, yeah. Oh, we got to use it. I want to see this. Like, Yeah, so I'm looking it up right here. It says a fire piston, sometimes called a fire syringe. It's a ancient Southeast Asian origin. Can you so see it? That's pretty interesting. Oh, you know what? 
I think I have seen those before. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Huh. So so one thing to consider when you're building your fires, um, a lot of people like you to use local firewood. Uh, I know a lot of forest rangers go around checking campsites, um, and they're they're looking for firewood that's out of state. And in some places, even in state, but over 50 miles away, because there's a, a lot of problems with um, beetles, and they're worried about the, the problem spreading. So you just want to make sure you're mindful of uh, where you get your firewood from and how far you're uh, tra- you know, transporting it. Here's a question I have. I have a question and a comment about this. If your firewood is already burning, how would they know if it's out of state? I mean, uh, yeah. I guess if you still have it in the bundle, it has like yeah. I mean, if you still have all bags, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just kind of a, a mindful, conscious thing too. You're, oh yeah, you're I, of, I like, understand yeah. that. I'm just saying, yeah. like, how would I mean, you the uh, dishonest hunter could just be like, oh yeah, I got it right down the road. Oh yeah, they can. They can't even even people from the city that come out camping. They're like, yeah, I found it here. One thing too, in some instances, you could tell. Well, if you're looking at buying, even outside of buying firewood, if you're like cutting it down someplace you know say you live beyond oh, 50 point. mile yeah. races mm-hmm. radius and you're cutting stuff off your property and then you go over into the national forest and you're camping you know and it's like two hours away and you're using the wood from your place there like there's the chance that you're gonna you could bring a, a parasite or an insect yeah. over over into that space and introduce it and that was gonna be my comment that's it's something hitchhiker, isn't it? Isn't it like environmental hitchhiker or something along those lines so where they classify the same as like the, those, um, like zebra mussels yep. and yeah, yep. all yep. those things. So uh, it's something hitchhiker. I'll have to look it up later. Disappointed in your ecology, right? Yeah. Now. I, I yeah, can't speculate anymore <laughs> on this. So, yeah. But overall, I think campfire cooking, um, since we started at sort of the beginning with it. Now I gotta look it up. Um, I didn't touch base on my preferred fire method. I'm, I'm a gradual, so going from like twigs to, uh, smaller sticks up to wood and then kind of get it going. But, uh, very slow to create the fires. Have you seen these, uh, BioLite things? No. You know so many gadgets. <laughs> so speaking of gadgets, uh, what it is is you are a gadget guy, Mr. Gadget, Inspector <laughs> yeah. Gadget. So it's a it's a it's a for smaller stoves like single pots, maybe like coffee. It's a small cylinder, and you put wood in there, and you you start your fire, but it takes the excess heat and it transmits it to a USB drive. Oh, so if you need yes. to charge your radio I've or something, those. yeah, or your cell phone, yeah. yeah. I thought that was pretty. Well, I try to keep cell phones away from that. But. Well, I mean, <laughs> if you have a cord, but I was actually looking to. Um, Moving on to camp stoves, um, we're going to circle around back and forth here a little bit. But on the camp stoves, like I was looking at different varieties of camp stoves outside, like what I would normally carry, you know, kind of a backpacking style. And there's solar powered stoves. So it's How like does a, that work? It's a, it basically uses like reflection and reflect refraction to heat up and cook food you put it in like a tube and inside the tube it's like a little uh indented sleeve and that's where you put your food and you slide it in there and it reflects the light in and i'm only guessing magnifies it to Hmm. heat up the food like Like putting car on the dashboard or food on the dashboard of your car 
Yeah. We're like ant burning ants with a microphone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you guys are diabolical. <laughs> anyway, aquatic hitchhikers was the term I was looking for, which is more along the line along the lines of the zebra mussels, but same concept. So you, you know it's helpful for people that go out camping. Um, they want to use their cast iron pans or other cookware, and they just have a little pile of uh, firewood. Have you seen those? Um, there's one. You, it's called like a lumberjack steel, and it's it's one big flat grate with foldable legs so it folds no. down flat and then you you build a fire under it yeah you build a fire under yeah, it you yeah. can just put it over any fire and then when you want you can just slide it right out from yep. the uh, from over the fire and you just move it to the side and you can let oh, everything cool down you have your campfire back for s'mores yep that thing's I've, pretty uh, handy yeah i have uh we have one i've used it before i've used it i've cooked directly on it oh yeah, really? like with without it a pan on there. okay yeah without a pan and put like steaks and um you know fish and whatever on there and then also put a used it to put the pan on top as well. Okay. Those are those things are pretty versatile. That's what I got on my list here of, of sort of quote-unquote grill items. But, yeah, that would be it. Those are pretty common. And then you have the ones that hang from the, uh, like, the little teepee part okay. that hangs down. And it's a, a grate that hangs over the fire. That's a good thing to cook on, too. Mm-hmm. You could also hang a cauldron off of it. There oh, you go. Back to the cauldrons. Back to the cauldrons. And then just good old-fashioned skewers. Making hot dogs or s'mores, whatever. Yeah. I just got these retractable. I have one skewer. too. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Can you like whip it and extend you can. it? Yeah, I tried. Like, extend a little baton. I actually broke one trying that. But I think the Dutch ovens are still probably the, the most proficient way to cook on the fire using the cast iron. I mean, you can get the smaller stainless steel pans or like those, uh, the enamel, like aluminum pans, it's got mm-hmm. like the blue and the white specks on it. Yeah. Those are good, but I find they're often too thin, so you end up moving it around a lot, and you end up with one side of the pan super hot, one side of the pan super cool, and it's just really hard to hard to cook in. Although I found that there can be a benefit in that as well if you're not using the entire pan. Say if you have a couple things that you only need one portion of the pan. But you still want to keep them warm or, or even hot, I guess. But you use them in the cooking side where the heat might be. But then you use the side where there might be a little bit less hot. And you can kind of use them to store and then cycle them back in and everything like that. It's good for bacon, I've found, yeah. you know, using that. Um, I would imagine they're good for like other small items. What do you guys think about uh, <clears throat> primitive cooking? There's a lot of... Uh new videos on uh, YouTube and social media so circulating around where people are using primitive methods or going back to primitive methods to cook and sort of displaying these elaborate meals. Are you talking um, about when they cook like meat on a slate? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Have you guys ever done that? I have not. I haven't either. I haven't. It seems, I mean, I haven't seen a whole lot of the videos or anything, but it seems like it would be uh, I don't know, a little bit cumbersome. But, I mean, it's cool to know if you're in, like, a survival yeah. situation. You're like, oh, well, here's how you can cook. You know, they're using it. It's like you, uh, you're you basically starting your fire, and then, you know, say you're by a river, and you pull yeah. river rocks, and then, you you know, you have one large, larger flat one or something that's clean. You're obviously mm-hmm. going to wash it off as much as you can and then just cook right on top of that. Set it on top of the fire. You still get some airflow underneath yeah. to keep your fire going, but then you... Uh, and let your meat cook right on top or vegetables or fish or whatever. Yeah. I think mean, it's it's a good way to reduce the amount of gear you're carrying. I'd be curious to see what the difference is. I imagine it'd be easier to heat a metal pan, whether cast iron or steel or whatever. It'd be easier to heat a metal pan and cook your food than try to heat up a rock to where it goes all the way through. Yeah, but I think the defense to that is like, all right, say you're just going out 
you're going for a hike and all you got with you is a fishing pole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, then, you know. When you now you're trying to fish. find a lot of dry wood to heat that thing up, though. Well, when you're in the woods, there's lots of firewood around. Uh-huh. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe in certain scenarios, too. I mean, but it's going back to a primitive method. So, like, in theory, you should be able to do it a lot of places. Kind of. Um, I'm curious now because there's a bunch of that slate out there where they make turkey calls. They just pick them up off the ground and make turkey calls yeah, out of them. Yeah, slate's super common. Yeah. Maybe I mean, I'll try it. But you could time. do any any rock, I think. And, I mean, there's people that cook directly on the fire. I mean, I've done it before. Yeah. You just, yeah, put things right in the fire to cook and char it. This guy that I work with, uh, we went out on one of these keys and we caught a lobster. I'm like, let's just cook it up right here. And we didn't, it's probably about as primitive as it was, but, you know, we found like an old grill that someone left there. So, I mean, it was in the elements and everything, but we still had a grate between that and regular fire. But that's about as primitive as it has gone. Yeah. I'm reading uh, Steve Rinella's American Buffalo right now. Mm-hmm. And he talks a lot about using the buffalo chips yeah, to yeah. to start a fire and use as a heat source. I think that would that would be fun for me is to find something along those lines and and use that. Just like, well, you know, some buffalo came through here and deposited, and uh, now I can use it. <laughs> so, a gift that keeps giving. Yeah, I mean, it's good. Back in the uh, you know back in the days when you had people in the sod houses, like living out on the prairie, that's like your only. Yeah. Fuel source. He's actually got a picture in the book of a woman and her, like, I guess, four-year-old, five-year-old daughter with a wheel, wheelbarrow yeah. full, stacked high, as high as her head of buffalo chips that wow. they're going to bring back and use. So, it's pretty crazy. Well, I mean, you think about it's almost the perfect fuel because um, yeah. it's compact. It's, you know, more or less lightweight, and it's it's very dense. Mm-hmm. So it burns, and all that matters broken down to where you're you're getting stuff that's just flammable. So once you get it going, yeah, I mean, for cooking a pot over it or something mm-hmm. or a pan, it would be perfect because it's just heat. But like, it's not like you're trying to get the flavor in there. Or anything, yeah. So. <laughs> mm, sticks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you guys ever used uh, any types of leaves to cook with? I mean, not only, we'll we'll expand it beyond the campfire. Um, I kind of think I know the response to cooking on the campfire with leaves because I, I haven't done it. But like banana leaves or oh, okay. I was thinking corn like leaves as a heat source because they just husk. burn up. Well, I know we we use corn husk for tamales. Yeah, for tamales. Yeah. Um, one of the neighbors here came over the other day and asked. Uh, I've got a couple of banana trees in the back, and he was asking for banana leaves to oh, nice. take and wrap and cook. Similar to tamales, but they were cooking instead of putting the masa and everything in there. They were just uh, using the ground meat i think inside of it pretty cool um no you can definitely do it with fish it would be yeah. a good uh, i think insulator. that's where i've seen it it's like as a, almost as a you put that over the grate mm-hmm. and then put the fish right on top of that and it's kind of acts as a pan but like like i've seen that a f- couple times i mean you could tie it too if you had twine you could yeah. bind it up to kind of hold the fish together pretty well and it'll keep it from charring as bad i'm really intrigued though like you guys by the stone cooking add it to the uh to the fire starting thing about cooking Stone we can cooking. find some mangrove snapper around here or something and try and cook one on a, on a rock. Yeah. No, good, no good place. We just saw at Boca Chica Beach, the bridge right before Boca Chica Beach yeah. last weekend. Got a good call. Good haul. Oh, for a snapper? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, mangrove snapper. You got to come back and fish them out of my backyard. Yeah, I'm down. So moving on, still I think probably like in today's modern age, the most proficient way to cook is using a camp stove yeah yeah hands down i I would think i mean unless you 
can't factor in the weight for whatever reason, you know, like we're talking about, you're out fishing and it's just, just you and you're like, okay, well I got a fishing pole and there's some sticks and I'll start a fire and cook this fish type deal. Uh, or in survival scenario, obviously if you don't have a camp stove, but, mm-hmm. uh, I always like travel with a camp stove, even if it's just a day trip or I'm just going to be out for a little while. Cause I'm a big proponent of enjoying the, the fresh meat right off whatever animal or fish I harvest. I think, at its peak freshness, the flavors, the best, and always like, especially the tenderloins from usually the inside. As soon as you, you know, you gut it out, you clean out the the body cavity. Those are kind of the first cuts I go for. Uh, usually, heart and liver, things like that too. It depends on how many people. If it's just me out there, usually I'll take the heart and the liver and I'll set it aside and I'll just cut the tenderloins up and I'll cook those up real quick. We actually have in the the recipes I want to talk about today. It's it's a little. Not as much a recipe, but a story kind of advocating like, hey, carry pan with you, carry stove. Like it's yeah. it's not it's not a heavy lift. You know, I use a jet boil. I love jet boil. Yeah. yeah. Those things are incredible. It's just yeah, it's incredible things to do. Just versatility of being able to heat up water to go, you know, I have a, a French press attachment on mine, which yeah. is absolutely phenomenal. And then I have the new it's like a little ten dollar pan attachment. So now I could take oh, my that's little right, yeah non-stick pan and put on top of it and i carry a little container of oil and just whatever little seasonings and boom just right there season it up you know just do a quick sear just to get a little snack in that's what we made the dove pot like the dove press in right yep okay yep. yeah yep. yeah even in a pinch you don't have the pan you just have the jet boil make coffee and then turn around throw a can of baked beans or something in there yeah absolutely. yeah i usually just rinse it out and make the next thing mm-hmm. yeah yeah and it's good non-stick and too, fast so. yes <laughs> under a minute I think that's where the name Jet comes yeah. in. Yes. Jets are fast. <laughs> well, I think, too, it sounds like a jet. That, too. That's loud. a good point. Yeah. yeah. But looking at larger gas-powered doves, so we're going to use the word powered here in this discussion kind of a little loosely, even though it's, you know, and they may not necessarily, the stove is not necessarily powered by its fuel, I guess is the proper word, but uh, in my mind, I chose the word powered, so uh, that's what I'm going to use. But anyway. So using like larger stoves, so you get those those two or three burner, you know, you have the larger ones that are made out of steel. You have the folding Coleman ones that hook up to the smaller little mm-hmm. propane canisters. I mean, there's lots of different styles. Those, I think, are intended more for uh, like a sedentary camping. So you're going up, you're setting up a site, you're like, hey, I'm going to be here for a prolonged period, be it a night, be it whatever. They definitely have their place in the camping world and in the hunting world, too. I mean... We've used those everything from frying turkeys to boiling crawfish to cooking fried fish and you know making soups and stews on yeah and well, they're simple reliable universal yeah yeah and they're they're not expensive at right. all which is good it's and and they last forever I think I've got what's set downstairs that's it's pushing seven years eight years now but for the the type of hunting do. I typically go with, like I said, the smaller backpacking stove. But also, have you guys done much hunting or fishing in areas where you're you're sleeping in a tent? You're using those uh, heating stoves, you know, like your regular house stove, uh, like if you had a wood burning stove in your house. But they would hook up in a tent. Oh yeah, and usually you need like some larger tents for that, right? Yeah, like yeah, the, the, the canvas the, uh, ones, the, the guide tents or the canvas ones, yeah. 
No, yeah, those, I have not. I haven't either, but definitely up there on the to-do list. But they those things are super cool. They make the way technology has evolved. They've made ones that definitely heat very efficiently and help you cook very efficiently too. I mean, and they charge your cell phone, like you said. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, I think that's incredible. I mean, if you get a good canvas wall tent mm-hmm. with the the chimney and it goes out, that'd be that'd be interesting because you can go on a prolonged uh, camping trip or hunting trip, and uh, it also keeps you warm too because most of the hunting done in the fall, you know. So yeah, and those being primarily like wood powered, <laughs> I guess you say wood burning. Uh, we used to use if we'd camp. Sometimes it was like a, we had a couple bigger tents that we would use, like big, like the army tents. Okay. Basically. Temper tents. Yeah. You get them from like the army surplus store. We'd use those, but those big old propane heaters that oh, yeah. Yeah. make that almost like a jet boil, but much louder. And yeah, we had a Coleman, one of those. I mean, yeah. Was loud. You never want to be the person sleeping next to it because it was, you wake up in the middle of the night and you were like burning up. Yeah. But those are always good. I think multi-purpose, at least the ones saying like guide stoves, guide style uh, in comparison to like the Coleman just heating uh, ones, you obviously probably don't want to cook on those. Now, backpacking stoves, though, I'm still, there's been such a, a growth in the technology of it over the, the past few years that I think it's it's something that's really come to shine. I mean, the affordability of one and the functionality of it, I've seen everything from like the ones that that fold down into, you know, the size of a folded dollar bill. And then you just hook your fuel canister up to it. And it, wow. it springs out and you set a pan on top of it to, or a cup, you know, whatever mm-hmm. to like the jet boils as we discussed. And then we talked about the solar powered one, which I thought was pretty interesting. I definitely want to do some more, more looking into that. I don't think it's quite as effective um, as the others, but still something pretty neat. I'd like to, uh, experiment with an alcohol stove at some point oh yeah just because i've heard a lot about them and it's kind of rudimentary which i find intriguing like there's another name for them but might be a little inappropriate i think probably one thing that that always interests me about those you end up carrying the alcohol which can be like dangerous unto itself i've used some different types of those stoves not the alcohol one there's another one that uses the sterno ones yeah. Yeah, we used to get those from the surplus store all the time. It was yep, like what a little, are they? It's like a little tiny metal rectangle. And when you flipped it open, it had something to rest your pot on. And then Which it was not sturdy too. at all. Not sturdy at all. And I think it was wobbly, but you have this little metal canister. You peel it back, and it was like a gel. And when you light it, it's a sterno. Okay. So you, you kind of see it at buffets when they have all oh, the. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Those it's the same. It's, it's almost like. It's the same thing, pretty much. Gel fuel. Yeah. Hmm. So come, you would just either pop the can off or peel the top back and just light it, and yeah. that thing would just cook. I think long. they were originally designed for like C rations, so the predecessor to the MRE. I remember my grandpa talking about them, and he definitely complained a lot about having to eat C rations. That's a whole other uh, area of campfire cooking is using the MRE heating element. <laughs> yeah, you just got to find a rock or something. Yeah, well, literally. Uh, when do you guys want to go into it? I'm sure people are curious now. I mean, I don't know how many MREs Dustin has eaten, but I've eaten a, a fair few in my day. and uh, Still do. <laughs> you still do. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, it's pretty incredible. You just pour some water into, like, a little plastic bag and it has some chemicals in there, and it heats it up, and, and it gets piping hot, too. Like, burn my fingers hot. And, uh, I mean, the directions literally say to prop it up against a rock or something. Um, so, very easy, very user-friendly. Yeah, and they're they're coming along. There's some really good... 
varieties. As long as you stay away from veggie omelet, you're good. Yeah. Chili Mac, probably the top. But. I don't know, I'm a big uh, chicken patty guy. <laughs> any of those like meat patties in there, man? Or I could actually do without any of the, the entrees. I'll just eat the crackers and the peanut butter and the, the jalapeno, jalapeno cheese. cheese. Yeah. Grape, yeah. grape drink. Grape drink. Yeah. <laughs> Make you a little Tabasco with it. The ninety uh, percent high fructose corn syrup peaches. <laughs> you just wired for a whole day. <laughs> I mean, that's the point. They're intended to. That may be your only meal. Yeah, that's true. Hopefully not. But moving back to the uh, gourmet side of the food, <laughs> Let's just talk a little bit about uh, moving away from the MREs and uh, some more modern technology. As uh, as MREs have evolved, so have smokers. Smokers and grills, which you end up with uh, with probably our favorite one here, Harvest of Nature, is the Traeger. Uh, multi-purpose, multi-use. We talked earlier about being able to season your cast iron pans in it. I made uh, use those same cast iron pans, made brownies, desserts, pies, all kinds of things out on the uh, on the Traeger. But definitely still one of my favorite things is probably the availability of different types of wood uh, and the pellets to cook with. Just the really... The functionality and broadness of of the product itself to be able to use anything from just roasting game meats to uh, cooking fish to you know like I said making desserts it's really a great tool to have in in your repertoire. But one thing that you can definitely do on it too is uh, braise. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah, you can braise on it. So that's going to lead me into my recipe. Uh, first one here, so Florida rum braised rabbit. So that one we just published here recently on uh, Harvest in Nature. Influence kind of came from that. We were talking the other day. Actually, you were the one that sent me the the video. Uh, did we talk the about the rabbit it? hunt? Yeah, the yeah. rabbit hunt. So that kind of inspired that because we went on our own rabbit hunt. It mm-hmm. didn't involve sugar cane or sticks, but uh, we were in South Florida, which is where this video we're referencing uh, was shot at, where they were basically clubbing rabbits that were running out of uh, sugar cane fields as they're getting harvested. Yeah, it was pretty, like, I mean, pretty smart way to do it. Yeah, yeah. super, super effective. And uh, for, for those that don't know, in South Florida, or in Florida as a state, you can hunt rabbits year-round. When I posted this recipe, there was a lot of conversation back and forth, and we got into some in-depth talks about parasites and different things like that, because people, uh, you know, the old wives tell where you say, you're not supposed to hunt or eat rabbit until after like the first freeze. That's what it was uh, for us in Oklahoma. But a lot of people still follow that, but I've definitely lived in a lot of warm climates where we still hunted rabbits and, you know, you, you take a look and check the meat over pretty well. But if, if you're not really seeing any, any parasites, then it's not that bad. Yeah. So plus a lot of those parasites, if you did overlook them, they, they don't affect humans in the way. So, uh, so talk- you're saying they're safe to eat <laughs> Yes <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> So they are safe to eat So for this recipe I used basically a whole rabbit So quarters and loins From the rabbit And combined it with righteous rum And spice uh, It's from Old St. Pete Distilling Pretty good uh, pretty good spicy rum From here in, in Florida And After After uh, Searing the the rabbit quarters and everything, and added in some uh, some different vegetables and all that, and the rum and some wild game stock, and let it cook cook down for for a couple hours, 
and it man it came out phenomenal yeah definitely brought out the spice of them you get a little hint sweet in there served it with a side of plantain chips and uh some white rice some very uh, caribbean yeah very super caribbean i even used uh my wife's got some some pickles which is like a haitian uh hot sauce uh-huh uh, served it with that too. Oh man! How good. much? How much rum did you use? Three quarters of a cup. Three quarters, more, right. more or less. So equal proportion with the game stock. So going back to our braising episode, which is like uh, one of our first few episodes, you want to make sure that you don't fully submerge the uh, the meat in the whatever cooking solution, the liquid, because then you're not really braising; you're just stewing, which you'll sometimes end up with a tougher meat. Is it kind of changes that process, uh, as we discussed on that episode. Looking next at the uh, venison pumpkin pot pie. Oh, so the reason we're highlighting all these recipes because they're all recipes you make with cast iron or cook over uh, over the open fire. Uh, all right. More importantly, cast iron. So I'll use the cast iron Dutch oven for that rabbit recipe. And then for the next one, I just use regular old uh, regular old cast oh, iron yeah, pan. Yeah, got a nice uh, flaky crust on top. I got a little inspiration, another kind of Caribbean inspired. I tend to lean that way. Just being in South Florida, it kind of fits the fits the local flair. But with this one, uh, I'm not much of a baker. I'll admit that. So, aside the occasional dessert, uh, so I use the pre-made puff pastry sheet for this one for my uh, my topping, and just pre-cooked everything. Made a nice little gravy in there. Added in some black pepper, some allspice, and then some flour to butter and flour to thicken it up along with all the veggies and everything, uh, and some hot peppers, and then put that uh, put that pastry sheet right on top, and then let it crisp up in the oven. Nice. So yeah, it came out, came out pretty. And then I mentioned earlier, a little article highlighting uh, a hunter's meal in the field, which just kind of touches base on the importance of what I, I feel, why you should, you should bring a pan with you when you go out and do a little hunting. See me there cooking up a little uh, mule deer. It's in Wyoming. Nice. Yep. It's right on the old jet boil. It's first, first fresh cut of meat. As fresh as you can get. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, it's just a, it's a good breed. If you read it over, it's got some good, uh, some good direction. And then sort of shifting gears away from big game, going to uh, some pan-seared goose breast. So okay. This, yeah. This recipe was written by our field staff writer, Sean West. He's from up in Canada, up in Ontario. He made this, and it just looks so good. Like, the, the sear on it, it's pretty perfect. And goose is one of those things that you don't have to cook it through all the way. So you can leave a little, you know, medium, medium rare, whatever makes you comfortable. And sort of sear it, like, very straightforward. Salt, pepper, oil. Yeah. Boom. High heat on your cast iron. And then throw that in there. But the thing that makes this dish is the blueberry sauce. He's taking a couple cups of uh, blackberry Mixing those up with some lemon and white sugar. Very basic, very straightforward, delicious sauce. And then just eating that right over the top of the the goose breast. Nice. Yeah. So I think I think we covered covered a good deal today talking about all the various cooking methods and cast iron. You guys have any any alibis call? Uh no, not really. I just listening to you guys is I gotta expand my uh, cast iron cooking a little bit. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I I wanna explore uh seasoning my cast iron and my traeger as well as trying some uh, sweeter dishes from it I'm, i've never really paired cast iron and campfire cooking to sweet foods so 
Yeah, I'm a little excited to jump into that. Yeah, same. Check out those cobbler recipes. Those will be good. I think overall, cast iron's a great piece of equipment to have in your your kitchen, your repertoire, whether or not you take it camping or not. I use mine every couple days uh, here at home at the at the minimum. And then, like I said, either stovetop, oven, grill, like it's so multifunctional that it's it's really an all-purpose piece of cookware if you treat it right and care for it. Looking at camp stoves, like, can't recommend having one enough multi-purpose, you know, from your, your larger two, three burner one down to just having a backpack and stove and, and your day pack. Uh, I think it's, it's a really good tool to have as a hunter, as an angler, which is good. Just want to thank everybody for listening. As always, our show notes are online, so you can, whatever podcasting platform you're listening to, you can get those notes there as well as links to the recipes and links to any articles or things we discuss while we're here. And if you can, head over to social media, Harvesting Nature is on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Give us a like, give us a follow, and leave a review if you'd like on whichever uh, podcast platform you're like. We're, we're moving up in the uh, in the world. We're number 25 for outdoor in Honduras. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yes. Things are looking bright. We appreciate all you guys following out there. Have a good night. that has the stories to back it a life to be proud of it's a winchester life yeah baby six eight western oh, i'll be over there baby right there tune in every tuesday at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv brave anglers search for the one they call king but who will take his throne tune in to waypoint tv's battle for silver saturday may 18th from 12 to 6 p.m eastern presented by abyss battery waypoint tv